Good morning. In today's headlines, no dice yet on a new debt limit deal. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy walk away from negotiations empty-handed. Will they be able to avert a default? Over one and a half million people have applied for the new migrant sponsorship program. Where does it leave immigration officials? Michigan has approved a red flag law aimed at keeping firearms away from certain individuals, but not everyone is on board, including some county sheriffs. A year-long negotiation comes to fruition. Three states in the lower basin of the Colorado River agree to cut back on water usage to keep the river flowing. We have the details. And caught on camera, real-life cowboys wrangle a runaway cow heading towards a busy interstate. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, May 23rd. Kevin, can you believe that reckless incident at the White House? Oh, man. There have been some crazy things that have happened in Washington over the years. At this time, a U-Haul truck crashed into security barriers near the White House last night. A spokesperson from the Secret Service says the driver was arrested. It happened at Lafayette Square. Eyewitness footage captured the moment it happened. One bystander says he thought at first it was an accident until he saw the U-Haul back up and hit the barriers again. It looks like that's a 26-foot moving truck, and there he goes trying to attempt to drive over the curve here. The alleged driver was photographed sitting on the ground after being detained. U.S. Park Police say that it is a male suspect, and he's been charged with five charges, including assault with a dangerous weapon and trespassing. The driver of the crash is under investigation, and there were no injuries reported. Wow. Staying at the White House, President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy could not reach an agreement yesterday to raise the debt ceiling with just 10 days before a possible default that could sink the U.S. economy. The clock is ticking. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the negotiations. You may be able to make some progress. McCarthy told Fox News there was progress in areas where the two sides don't see eye to eye. I think it was productive in the professionalism, the honesty with one another, and the desire to fight, try to find common ground. A key area of difference is spending cuts, something Republicans have been insisting on. While the president is pushing new taxes that Republicans have rejected, economist David Rosenberg says government revenue is near a record high. So the problem is not revenue, the problem is spending. So if you want to know where our differences have been, it's always been the same place. McCarthy says the U.S. needs to tighten its belt. Like any household, like any business, like any state government, when you're this far out of whack, you have to spend less than you spent last year. Republican Representative Patrick McHenry commented on the negotiations. These are tough issues, though. Make no bones about it. A directive to cut spending year over year is the toughest thing to do in Washington, D.C. Congressman Scott Perry thinks the GOP should stick to its guns. You keep asking us what we're willing to accept. What we're willing to accept is what we passed last month. While President Biden emphasized finding consensus. We both talked about the need for a bipartisan agreement. We have to be in a position where we can sell it to our constituencies. With time running out, House Democrats say they want to reach across the aisle and recruit a handful of Republicans to force a vote to raise the debt ceiling. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries reacts. We have to agree that we will avoid a default at all costs. 
Going forward, McCarthy says he expects to talk to Biden every day until a deal is reached. Democrats and Republicans have until June 1st to increase the debt ceiling or trigger an unprecedented debt default that economists warned could bring on a recession. Any deal to raise the limit must pass both chambers of Congress and therefore hinges on bipartisan support. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. From the debt ceiling drama to immigration, over one and a half million people have requested to sponsor migrants looking to enter the U.S. over the last few months. That's according to CBS, who says they viewed internal DHS documents. But U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services is only allowed to approve 30,000 arrivals each month. Americans are eligible to sponsor migrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela if they agree to support them financially under new rules. Migrants that enter under the program are given two-year work permits. The policy is facing legal challenges in federal court. GOP-led states argue the Biden administration doesn't have the authority to grant entry outside the visa system. And speaking of work permits, New York City Mayor Eric Adams is calling on federal officials to expedite work authorization for immigrants. Adams and New York Governor Kathy Hochul made the plea yesterday. New York is currently sheltering over 40,000 illegal immigrants in hotels and school gymnasiums. Hochul says New York doesn't have enough manpower to process all the asylum hearings and issue work permits in a timely fashion. Mayor Adams suspended some of New York's right to shelter rules last week. He cited the strain of housing asylum seekers. We asked New Yorkers what they thought about issuing work permits to migrants, some who are in the country illegally. Here's what they said. Sure, why not? Everybody deserves to make a living. No. And then why not? Because it takes up the jobs and stuff for the people that's documented, the citizens that's here, the people that was born here. I think it's really backwards to keep you know, putting them behind and not being able to get proper jobs because that's kind of when they turn to illegal stuff to make more money. And if we really want to get rid of that, then really have to start giving them opportunities. Adams is calling on the Biden administration to provide more funding and aid to cities dealing with an influx of illegal immigrants. Over to Michigan, where it has approved a red flag law that aims at keeping firearms away from certain individuals. It joined Minnesota as the second state in under a week to implement such a law. Here are the details. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Monday signed a red flag law. Also known as extreme risk protection orders, it's expected to go into effect next spring. Today we're going to take an additional step in action to reduce gun violence and save lives. It's a proactive way to prevent mass shootings, suicides and other forms of gun violence. The red flag law will allow family members, police, mental health professionals, roommates, and former dating partners to petition a judge to remove firearms from those they believe pose an imminent threat to themselves or others. So we must act because week after week in America, we see grim, familiar headlines. Every place you can think of, every situation you can imagine has been shattered by gun violence. And so many of the perpetrators showed warning signs beforehand. Michigan became the 21st state to implement a red flag law, but over half of the state's counties have passed resolutions declaring themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries. Some local sheriffs have told the Associated Press that they won't enforce the law if they don't believe it's constitutional. The National Association for Gun Rights calls red flag laws gun confiscation without due process of law. In a statement, the group said the laws specifically target law-abiding citizens who have not committed a crime. 
Michigan Democrats, who are in control of all levels of state government, have indicated that they plan to introduce more restrictions on guns. TikTok is suing Montana over a bill that would ban the app in the state starting next year. The company filed the lawsuit yesterday. It alleges the ban violates the U.S. Constitution as well as other federal laws. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the legal challenges the ban is facing. TikTok on Monday filed its lawsuit challenging the first state to ban the app. The China-owned company argues the ban violates First Amendment rights of the company and users. The lawsuit says a ban would violate the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution and is preempted by federal law because it intrudes upon matters of exclusive federal concern. It's the second lawsuit against the state since the ban was announced. A group of five content creators citing First Amendment rights sued Montana last week. Proponents of the state law are concerned the app could be used to allow the Chinese regime access to U.S. citizens' information or push pro-Beijing messages and misinformation to influence the public. A Montana Department of Justice spokesperson stated the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is using TikTok as a tool to spy on Americans by collecting keystrokes, personal information, and locations of users. A bipartisan group of lawmakers in the U.S. Senate, along with the heads of the FBI and CIA, have all said TikTok could pose a national security threat because its Beijing-based parent company ByteDance operates under Chinese law. China's national intelligence law requires that companies cooperate with the CCP for state intelligence work. The ban takes effect on January 1st next year. It prohibits downloads of TikTok in the state and would fine app stores or TikTok $10,000 per day for making the app available to personal devices. Penalties would not apply to users. The statewide ban would be void if the platform is sold to a company not based in a country designated as a foreign adversary. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. All right, a range of topics coming up. Russia is getting an unwelcome taste of fighting on its own soil. Two groups of Russian opposition fighters say they liberated a settlement in a border region. And a recent bank rate survey finds that more than half of Americans say money has been bad for their mental health. A financial analyst offers you some advice after the break. Good to have you back with a serious topic here. Russia said yesterday it was battling a raid by so-called saboteurs who burst through the border from Ukraine. The attack appeared to be one of the biggest assaults of its kind since the war began 15 months ago. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the fighting. The governor of Russia's Belgorod region says a Ukrainian sabotage group had entered Russian territory in an area bordering Ukraine and was being repelled. He appealed to those who left their homes to stay away for the time being. The cleansing of the territory by the Ministry of Defense, together with law enforcement agencies, continues. Officials reported that at least eight people had been wounded and three houses and an administrative building damaged. A Ukrainian media outlet cited Ukrainian military intelligence as saying two armed Russian opposition groups were responsible for the attack. Both groups reportedly consist of Russian citizens. One of the groups is called the Freedom of Russia Legion. It published a video on Twitter saying they want their children to grow up peacefully and be free so they can travel, study and be happy in a free country. The video ended with the declaration that Russia will be free. 
Another group also published footage on Monday of a fighter operating an armored vehicle on a country road. Other videos showed pictures and video of what were described as captured Russian servicemen. NTD could not verify the videos. A Ukrainian presidential advisor said the Kyiv government was watching the situation with interest, but has nothing to do with it. A Kremlin spokesman said Russian President Vladimir Putin had been informed and that work was underway to drive out what they call the saboteurs. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And now some national headlines. A judge entered a plea of not guilty on behalf of Brian Kohlberger yesterday. He's a graduate student charged with murder in the fatal stabbing of four University of Idaho college students. Here's the story. The graduate student charged with murdering four University of Idaho college students appeared in court Monday. Do you understand the charge in count one? Yes. A judge entered a plea of not guilty on behalf of 28-year-old Brian Koberger, who wore an orange jumpsuit and remained mostly silent, opting not to enter a plea during an arraignment hearing in Idaho. We will be standing Koberger is accused of stabbing three women and one man inside the victim's home early on November 13th of last year, a crime that stunned the small college town of Moscow, Idaho, and drew national attention. Two other roommates in the house were unharmed. One of the women told investigators that she heard someone crying in one of the victim's bedrooms at 4 a.m. before a masked man, clad in black, walked past her and out of the house, according to a court document. Six weeks later, Koberger was arrested in Pennsylvania. The victims, Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves, Zana Kernodal, and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, all suffered multiple stab wounds. At the time, Koberger was working on a doctorate degree in criminal justice at Washington State University, about 10 miles from the University of Idaho campus. Authorities have not disclosed a motive, but said they are confident Koberger was the killer. The judge scheduled the trial to begin on October 2nd. Koberger could face life in prison or the death penalty if convicted of murder. Such a tragedy would happen there. Arizona, California, and Nevada have agreed to significantly reduce their water use from the drought-stricken Colorado River over the next three years. The plan proposed yesterday is a potential breakthrough in a year-long stalemate that pitted the western states against one another. Here's the story. After a year-long negotiation, three states reached an agreement to conserve an additional 3 million acre-feet of water through 2026. That's roughly the equivalent of at least 6 million Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of water. The three states which formed the lower basin are entitled to 7.5 million acre-feet of water altogether from the river. An acre foot of water is roughly enough to serve two to three U.S. households annually. California gets the most, based on a century-old water rights priority system. Most of that goes to the farmers in the Imperial Irrigation District. Under the new proposal, California would give up about 1.6 million acre-feet of water through 2026. Arizona and Nevada would divide up and forego the remaining 1.4 million acre-feet. This agreement will enable them to convert some of that water to, to what we call system conservation, which is water that is theoretically permanently left in the system and no longer belongs to those water users. In a joint letter by the governors of all three states to Deb Holland, Secretary of the U.S. Department of Interior, 
The governors stated that the product of this collaboration is measurable, verifiable, and enforceable water conservation volumes that provide immediate and substantial support for the Colorado River. The Colorado River has been in crisis for years due to a multi-decade drought in the West intensified by rising demand and overuse. Michael Cohen, a senior researcher at the Pacific Institute focused on the Colorado River, said the river's hydrology has improved a bit since last summer. He called the amount of cuts the three states have proposed a huge, huge lift and a significant step forward. May this month is Mental Health Awareness Month, and people across the country are paying extra attention to mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, and PTSD. For more than half of Americans, money and personal finances are causing significant stress. Entity's Andrew Thomas reports. According to Bankrate's recent survey, 52% of Americans say money has been bad for their mental health. That's up 10% from last year's figures. More than half of those respondents say they worry about money at least once a week. Almost 30% report that they experience money anxieties daily. I feel like it all tracks back to this rising cost of living. And I think that is really what's draining a lot of people. And what I think is sad is that not only are more people worried about this, but they're worried about it very frequently, too. Senior industry analyst Ted Rossman says that increased prices for everyday necessities are largely to blame. Over the past year, my grocery bill has doubled. I've gone from spending about $2.99 for a dozen eggs to more like $6.99. And what might have been a $40, $50 grocery bill week to week has now become $70, $80. Sometimes you don't even know where your money goes because when you go to the store, like now, it's your $100. It's, it's nothing. A poor economic outlook is only exacerbating Americans' concerns. I think there's a cumulative effect to all this, that month after month of higher prices and higher rates, I, I feel like it is starting to take a toll. And that's one of the big reasons why people think that there will be a recession at some point in the next year. For those with money-related mental health issues, 82% of respondents report anxiety, sleep loss, and depression due to economic concerns. Nearly 70% of them cite inflation. 31% blame rising interest rates. 29% say income flow and job security are responsible. People are worried about near-term money issues. We didn't hear nearly as much about saving for retirement or longer-term pursuits. It was really much more about the here and now. A staggering 98% of those with money-related mental health issues reported at least one additional financial problem this year. In fact, money was the most common cause of mental anguish, more common than physical health, current events, health of family and friends, work, romantic relationships, and parenting. There are things people can do. I know it may not feel easy, but you can get a 0% balance transfer card to help you get out of credit card debt and pause that interest clock for up to 21 months. Or, you know, maybe you could take on a side hustle or you could cut your expenses or sell stuff you don't need and raise some cash either for debt payoff or for savings. According to Mental Health America's latest report, 21% of Americans have a mental health condition. That's more than 50 million people. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Always something, huh? Pandemic, inflation. Oh, I know. Yeah, well, we've been through a lot, especially since 2020. But look at us now. You know, we made it through. It makes us stronger.
That's right. Yeah, and mental health is important, you know, but I'm sure this next story will bring a smile to your face. Michigan State Police sprung into action on Sunday for an unusual stop at an interstate near Detroit for a runaway cow that was heading into traffic. Look at it right there, just running on the lanes like it's just belongs there. <laughs> Troopers blocked off the road just in case, and suddenly the runaway cow appears quickly followed by cowboys. The one on horseback managed to lasso the cow just in time to stop it from jumping over the meeting into oncoming traffic. Thankfully, no one was hurt. No cows were hurt. Yeah, it was pretty impressive, though, to see that real-life cowboy in action. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. fair, fair enough. What if that cow just wanted to get to work, though? <laughs> I know, they have to do their jobs, too. <laughs> All right, up next, a group that tackles crime with kindness, targeting homicides and other violent crimes in Indianapolis. I find out what they're doing about it when we come back. Welcome back. Next, we have a group of churches that offer mentorship and intervention to at-risk youth. Reverend Harrison is part of that initiative and aims to reduce the number of homicides and other violent crimes in Indianapolis. I spoke to him about what they do and how we can help. You know, it, it is a curse. You, you know, I, I base it on my own personal experience. I had a brother who was killed at the age of 21 and at the time, his uh, son was six months old. Uh, at the time, my brother was killed. And my nephew ended up uh, being killed um, the same way my brother was at the age of 23. And we see that generational curse, you know, in families uh, where, uh, you know, the father was killed, the son was killed, then the grandson was killed. And what Indy Ten Point believes is that if we can engage young people uh, on the ground uh, in areas where we're seeing a high level of uh, gun violence, that we are able to turn uh, them around and put them on a pathway of success and give them choices other than selling drugs, uh, being in gangs, or being a part of a neighborhood clique are just being involved in criminal activity that's going to lead to either uh, them being shot or injured, shot or killed, or, or going to prison. Uh, what it does is, you know, without the father being in, in the household or the father being in the life of his children, and if there is no other positive male role model in the life of particularly young men, then they tend to gravitate to the streets. And if poverty is involved too, uh, then they become easy for drug dealers and gang members to recruit them. And now coming back to Ten Point Coalition, what is the support that what is the support that you can offer offer them in um, maybe redirecting their lives? And what changes are you seeing in them while working with them? I, I think what we offer is one uh, mentorship. And, and many of us who uh, do this almost daily and we're engaging these young people, uh, we become positive role models in their life. And, and we're that voice that they hear um, that talks about uh, the potential and possibilities that they have in their life. And we're honest with them, too, about the fact that, you know, if you stay in the streets, it's going to lead you down uh, two paths. Either it's going to lead you to prison or it's going to lead you to the grave. 
And what we do is we try to uh, provide wraparound services for these young people so that whatever need they may have in their life, we're able to help support that as a community uh, so that we remove any kind of barriers that may keep them on the wrong path in life. Is there anything that you want to um, share with the viewers for them to know? I, I think two things. One is that uh, violence can be reduced, and I think the work that uh, Indianapolis 10 Point has done in hotspot areas in Indianapolis, uh, we have seen 80 to 100 percent reduction, um, you know, uh, 19 times uh, since 2016. And the model now um, is being replicated in cities all across the country that are also seeing, uh, you know, uh, positive results in violence reduction. And if anyone is interested, you know, in uh, starting a 10-point in your neighborhood, uh, then certainly we would be willing um, to have conversation and meet with them uh, and tell them how to start it, uh, what are the tools that they need, and how they can be successful in turning uh, their neighborhood around. Um, and creating a safe environment for the residents and for the children um, that live uh, in that neighborhood. Mm, all right. Thank you so much, Reverend Harrison. I think the help that you provide is very inspiring, so thanks for sharing that with us today. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah, Evelyn, thanks for doing that interview with that gentleman. I think it's great how he's providing that pathway to success because, you know, people have so much potential if they can just get off the streets. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, re I really believe that change really has to come within oneself. And like like um, one police officer, I don't know if he's quoted that, but, you know, um, it's it's really like you, you can't, you have to, it has to come from within yourself and you can't arrest your way out of the problem. And I thought that was very eye-opening. So, wow. yeah. That is good, yeah. And the church can provide those resources to help them get in their feet and so they can mm. move on. Yes, exactly. All right, on that note, we're ending the program today. You can write us at goodmorning at ntd.com, so shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.